0: Well, as you can tell, kids are a big deal at North Wake. We had a great time last week with a uh, couple camps, morning and evening. Um, what I need to remind you of, though, is that when the runner's camp ends, the kids do not evaporate. A number of them come back here and are housed in significant ministries here going on right now on Sunday mornings. And we have a couple of gaps that I need you to help us out with. Let me show those to you. If you could come at the 9 o'clock hour since you worship this hour and serve in one of these open slots, that will help us keep from having to actually cancel a couple of these classes. The ones that are in red, including the Young Twos team, uh, if we do not come up with teachers for those classes, we will, we will cancel those. And uh, we we dread doing that. We believe that six months in a child's life, learning how to love Christ under the mentorship of Christ followers is invaluable. So I hope that you will... Uh, You will take care of that when you leave this room. There are, if you would rather, if serve in one of these areas, there are a couple open slots during this hour if you'd rather worship first hour and come and help us. uh, That could be significant. Uh, So please make that a matter of prayer. And again, you can sign up when you leave so that you don't forget. So make a note of these significant needs and uh, follow through on that for us. If you would, I'd like to uh, begin us with just pray about those needs and prayers. we go to the word. So bow with me, please. Christ, be kind to us now as we come to you and to your word. By your spirit, um, draw us in. Don't let us yield to distraction or temptation, but help us to sit with glad hearts, willing hands under your word. And we'd ask that your spirit would do this now um, in your name, Christ. Amen. Ran across a fascinating couple of lists this week. Forbes magazine does this thing called the Celebrity 100. They've done it for years. Um, In 2006, I don't know exactly what their criterion was, but these were the top 10 of the Celebrity 100 for their celebrity-ness, whatever that is. People like Tom Cruise, the Rolling Stones, Oprah Winfrey U2, Tiger Woods, uh, even Howard Stern. Uh, was on the list in 2006 but if you fast forward this to 2014 just eight years look at how the list has changed Beyonce, LeBron, Dr. Dre, Oprah, Ellen DeGeneres, Jay-Z, Floyd Mayweather I don't know that any of the names were even the same were they? after eight short years Now, now let me do one more thing let me go one year from 2014 to 2015 And to be fair, they changed their criterion. In 2015, your celebrity-ness was evaluated only on income, so the criterion's a little different. But look at the difference in 2014 and 2015. The first two guys are boxers who fought one fight, and they're at the top of the income list. But look down the list. One Direction, Howard Stern, Garth Brooks, Taylor Swift, Cristiano Ronaldo, they they aren't even, it's in one year, It's a different group of people. And it's like um, it's like looking at a contemporary telling of what the book of Proverbs says in in Proverbs chapter 23. Some of you have never read this verse. Listen closely to it. Do not toll to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Um, It's here today, gone tomorrow. And these lists reflect that. You know, actor Jim Carrey said it beautifully. He said it better than I have. I've shared this with you before. But he, he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So they can see that it's not the answer. Um, and how, how does that relate to what we're about to encounter in Acts uh, today? I, let, me, let me put it this way. It means for us that the one percenters, okay, the A-listers, as they are called down at Chick-fil-A, um, they need the gospel too, okay? They really do. The up-and-comers who are rocketing up the ranks of your company, your wealthy boss, the fashionistas on TV and magazine covers, the cheerleaders, the quarterbacks, the team captains, the valedictorians, the together people, the talented ones, the gifted, the beautiful, they need the gospel. It's for everyone. It's for minions and kings. And that's what I I want us to see in our passage in Acts today. We're, We're following Paul, the latter part of the book of Acts. Paul's the main human character, the lead character in the book of Acts. And he's going from one interrogation to the next and to the next. Back in chapter 22, remember he was falsely accused of defiling the temple when he just went there to worship. A mob takes him, almost beats him to death, only to be rescued by Roman soldiers. And there's an ambush plotted against him. He's carted away to Caesarea where he's Now before the Roman governor, Felix. Felix keeps him in jail for two years with no no substantial charges against him. When a new governor comes on the scene, whose name is Festus, he's tried again. And Festus declares him innocent but can't figure out what to do with him. And so we find in chapter 26, which is where all that takes us up to, Paul is standing before a man named King Agrippa. And Agrippa... Um, is the Jewish king of that regent. And we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 26 as the king speaks to Paul as he's about to, to give his defense before a king. Agrippa says, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And what Paul does in the next few verses of his defense, we don't have time to deal with every verse. If you could read these two chapters later today, you'll get the richness of his defense there. But in the next several verses, Paul presents essentially his credential as as a Jew, that he is He is, as he himself will say, he's the Hebrew of Hebrews, so zealous for the law that he even became a persecutor of the church in order to to defend Judaism's purity. Now, in verse 11 of chapter 26, Paul says, he punished the Christians often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul says, I was the guy. I was the most earnest, sincere, devoted Jew you could imagine. There's a a popular Christian magazine. uh, It's called Christianity Today. And Last year, they ran this cover page, 33 under 33. And it's 33 young Christian leaders uh, in our nation that are making a significant impact. In Paul's day, if the Jews had had a similar magazine, JT, Right, Judaism today, and they had listed the young leaders that were making an impact, Paul would have been on that cover. Okay? Some even feel that he may have been a member of the Sanhedrin as a young man. Um, so, Paul, Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3, I already alluded to it. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so Paul establishes his credential before Agrippa, the Jewish king, and now he tells his story of his encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, one of those foreign cities that he was traveling to in order to to persecute the church. And uh, this is the third time in Acts, the third time that Paul's story has been told in the book of Acts. And if nothing else, this is a prompt for you to be ready to tell your story of how you met Christ and the difference he's made in your life. Three times, Luke is telling Paul's story again and again and again. Um, If the door is open, you have a story, if you follow Christ, of how you met him and the difference that's made in your life. Um, Now, we've been praying as a church family, this prayer. We've been praying That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. If he grants that to you, be ready to share your story. How you met Christ and what difference that's made in your life. Well, The first time Paul's story was told in Acts, it was in Acts chapter 9. Luke tells it just as it happened on the road to Damascus. The second time it was told is in Acts chapter 22. And you remember, Paul is, is in the middle of a, rob, uh, uh, a riot, a mob trying to kill him. And he turns around when the Romans rescue him and begs for the privilege to tell his story to that very mob. That was the second telling. The third telling is the one that we're going to encounter in Acts chapter 26. Same situation, Paul is retelling his own story, but the audience is different. This time, he's telling it before a king and a queen and a governor, and military leaders, and prominent leaders in the city. See, back in Acts chapter 25, it says, On the next day, King Agrippa and Queen Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men in the city, and at the command of Festus, the governor, Paul was brought in. So, so this is the audience. Okay, Paul's before the one-percenters. He's before the A-listers. The hot shots, the powers that be. Now, sometimes when we're around those folks, uh, that could be intimidating. And and we can think, you know, they seem so together. They seem so happy. They have have everything they need. Maybe they really don't need to hear the good news about Christ in the same way that I do. And, And Paul helps us with that. Watch what he says to the A-listers that he's brought before in chapter 26 down in verse 13. He says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way, this is on the way to Damascus to persecute the church. He said, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, just notice again in this telling of the story uh, how it is that Jesus confronts Paul. He calls him Saul, his Jewish name, about persecuting him. You think about it, though, Paul never even met Jesus. I don't even know if Paul was born by the time Jesus died. So in what sense is Paul persecuting Jesus, which the risen Christ says very specifically to him? Um, Clearly what he means here is to persecute the church is to persecute Christ. They are inseparable. And so if it's possible to get your mind around it this means that the tragedy of persecution against our brothers and sisters that's going on in places like Syria it is an even greater tragedy because it's also against Christ himself so wound up is Christ with the church that he calls us what his body And what does Paul say about Christ? He's in us. We are one with him in such a way, his love for us is so deep that when we suffer, he suffers. So those those who persecute the church, pray for them. They do not know what they do. To persecute the church, is to persecute Christ himself. And perhaps for us, we could flip that coin. We look at the other side and it may be more, more practical for us. We could say, I think, couldn't we? Love the church. Love Christ. that be true? Love the church. Love Christ. To love Jesus is to love his body. To love Jesus is to love the people, very people in this room, sitting in your row. Um, John writes about it, fascinating verse in 1 John 5. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Love the Father, love the church. It is all tangled up together. So when you hear about the suffering of the church around the world, pray. Pray. When you hear of the needs of a brother or a sister here, meet them as you can. I don't know if you noticed on the list of needs I put on the board. There was one at the bottom, and it was uh, for two exceptional child buddies. These are are special needs kids who, who do much better at church with somebody that's a steady guide for them throughout the day. How can that need be unmet? How can that be? Love Christ, love the church as you love the church. You're loving Christ, okay? Don't miss what Paul's doing here, though. He is telling kings and queens and military leaders and government officials his story, just his his story of how he met Christ and was changed by him. And so you need to know, you can tell your story to A-listers, the ones in your world. They need to hear it too. So Paul, down in verse 16, he says, Christ said to me on that road, Rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And then Jesus says something I want us to really slow down and reflect on next. Listen closely to what Jesus says to Paul. He says, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Okay? So, Paul's standing in the middle of all these important people, right? The powerful. The rich and the powerful. He's there. And he's Telling them, essentially, as he retells his story, he's telling it to them so that they might understand that they are spiritually blind, that they are incapable of finding their way to God on their own, that as a result, they are in the kingdom of darkness, and they are under the power of Satan. Paul is telling the king that he's under the power of Satan. It's not just that they aren't good enough for God or that they can't find their way to God on their own in spite of all their talent and resources, but they, the the rich and the powerful and the beautiful ones, the A-listers, apart from God's intervening grace in Christ, they remain literally under the power of Satan, Paul is saying. And though they are living large, they are still under his power. And there's absolutely nothing they can do about it in their own strength, even with all their resources and abilities and talents. You know, this can be very difficult for someone who appears to have it all to admit to. That they are spiritually helpless. They've probably never been helpless in their life. But in this venue, they are And that is the foundational truth that has to be embraced for the good news to be good. I mean, if you think you're good enough, what do you need a Savior for? A-listers, Paul is helping us see, they are great sinners too. You know, one one of the fun things that's happened to me since I've been here in this town all these years is I've... I get, I've gotten to build a friendship, at least I would call him a friend. Um, he would at least probably remember my name and recognize me. Um, with Danny Aiken, who's the president, Dr. Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary. And if you've ever met Danny, you know he's the friendliest guy on the planet, and you would be his friend and call him Danny after one conversation. That's who he is. And if you were having a conversation with Danny, with Dr. Aiken, and you said, Dr. Aiken, and he probably would say, no, call me Danny. You say, Danny. Are you a great sinner? You would not hardly get that question out of your mouth, and he would answer with such detail that you would be embarrassed. Okay? If you know Danny, you know exactly why I'm saying that. Uh, think of it, and I have no doubt. I know. I know Dr. Aiken, I, I know that he would say that, that the president of one of the world's great, one of the world's greatest seminaries. Is a great sinner. You know, as soon as he would affirm that, he would say, Ah, but it's all, that's all been washed away. That's all been borne away by the mercy and grace of Christ. It's been washed, it's been washed away. I have been forgiven. I am a forgiven sinner. And that is exactly what Paul says next, as he recounts what Jesus says to him on that road. Right? He says, Jesus says, I'm appointing you, Paul, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is a beautiful hope, an absolutely beautiful hope. Our sins can be forgiven. All the stuff that makes you ashamed and at times makes you want to pull away from God rather than draw near to Him. You don't have to bear that anymore. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to excuse it or pay for it or be oppressed by it or enslaved by it. You don't have to take care of it yourself. You don't have to carry that burden because Jesus, the risen Jesus, told Paul on the road, To bear the message that we can receive forgiveness. That means there's a forgiver. okay? And Jesus is that forgiver. Our sins can be forgiven, Paul says. And he says as a result of that, you get to have a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. People who are set apart among the people of God in the kingdom of God. You know, in the the spiritual world, there are only two places, right? There are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. On the one, you're under the power of Satan. On the other, you're under the rule of a good and loving Heavenly Father. The one sorrow, the other joy. The one torment, the other peace. The one hatred, the other love. The one virtue, and the other vice. There are two places. And A-listers need to hear this. This is their spiritual reality, just like it's ours. Okay. They are easily deceived into thinking that they can earn it, that they can be good enough. But Jesus says to Paul that it's a, it's a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, not as a result of works. They cannot earn it. They cannot be good enough. Kings can't be good enough. Military leaders cannot. Government leaders cannot. Honor students cannot. All-stars cannot. Cool kids cannot. No one can earn this. No one's good enough. Paul says it's a gift. And he writes a little bit more about it when he writes to the church in Ephesus. And he says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. We sang about this today, right? Amazing grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No boasting rights. Paul is helping us see that A-listers, they need a Savior just like we do. Just, Just like the rest of us. And so he turns and he addresses the king. He says, oh, oh, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly what I declared first to those in Damascus, where he was going to persecute, now he went to proclaim. Then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Okay? Now, remember, who Paul's telling his story to, okay? He's telling it. To a king and a queen and a governor and military leaders and, and all these important people and he is tailoring his message to them so what he tells the king now is that he was obedient to God's command to declare this message, you must repent and turn to God he said he told the Jews that, when he says the Jews, he doesn't just mean the Jewish folk, all of them it's, sure it's, that's part of it, but there's a There's a more precise focus where it has to do with um, this group of Jewish religious leaders who were hot after him, persecuting him. He told the Jewish religious A-listers, they had to repent and turn to God, and they were not happy with that news. They tried to kill him as a result of that, Um, but clearly... They needed that message. They needed to hear they, too, had to repent and turn to God. I mean, you know this. You know that our A-listers in our day are not perfect. All you got to do is walk down the grocery checkout lane and look at the magazines, okay? If just a quarter of that stuff is true, they're not perfect people, okay? I mean, Paul says, Repent. The A-listers. And he says, Perform deeds in keeping with your repentance. Repentance has the idea of turning away from trusting in your own works and turning towards trusting in God's work on your behalf. Turning away from your own deeds, your own path, and walking God's good path for us. Now, how do you know if you truly repented or not? Paul says, It's your deeds. Perform deeds in keeping with your repentance. Repentance is designed to change you. Not an accomplishment instead of repentance, but deeds that flow out of it, that are keeping with it. So you should find yourself over time, if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ, you should find yourself becoming less selfish and more compassionate and generous. You should be less angry and more patient less prideful, and more humble. You should care more about those who don't know Christ. You should care more about the poor and the needy. You should love the church, Christ's own body, more. Now, if you're self-assessing this morning, it's a good thing to do, and you're thinking, I had a really bad week, and I'm not any more like Christ today than I was last week, I might have slipped a little. Cut yourself some slack. Okay, bad weeks come, bad weeks go. But if you said, I'm thinking back a handful of years and I'm just as prideful and angry and fearful and selfish as I was then. That should give you pause because repentance and faith in Christ is intended to change us, to transform us. So, when you think about it, do you demonstrate the evidence of repentance and faith, of trusting Christ and hoping in Him fully? Does your life bear that mark? It's a good question. It's an important question. Even for A-listers. Paul continues and he says, uh, speaking to the king, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So, God has helped Paul through trials and tribulations, literally God has brought him to stand here before small and great. I imagine there, there's a king in the room. There are probably servants in the room. Um, so this weekend especially, we would say before minions and kings, right? I just had to, had to sneak that in briefly. But really, with all this emphasis this week on the A-listers, the kings, the queens, the gospels for them, you need to know that, uh, that for those of us who lean more towards minions than kings. It's for us. It's our good news too. We're in the exact same place before a radically holy God. We need a savior. And the good news is, as Paul says here, that Jesus did suffer on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead on the third day, and now through the likes of Paul and the likes of you and me, bears light, proclaims light. The kingdom of God Versus the kingdom of Satan and darkness to all peoples. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, the governor, said with a loud voice, he shouted it out, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. So the governor, who holds Paul's fate in his hand, interrupts Paul and tells him he's mad. He's, you know, he's loony, essentially, he says. And, you know, a lot of people, this would have been, this would have stopped them. Not Paul. Paul is relentless in this regard. He has the chance to share with the king, and he is not to be deterred. If you read back in Acts 9, this is exactly what Jesus told him he would do, that he would stand before kings and Gentiles. And Paul is before a king, and he has an opportunity, and he's not even going to let the governor stop him from sharing the good news of Christ with King Agrippa. So, King Agrippa, he says... Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So Paul the prisoner is inviting the king to believe. To follow Jesus' way. You know, in evangelism, you can only take the ground you're given, right? You can't force anybody to believe. You can't badger anybody into the kingdom. But Paul is going to take every bit of ground he's given. He's not going to leave any door open, not walked through. And so if the door is open to invite King Agrippa to believe, even if the governor tells him he's mad, he's going to do it. So, you know, A-listers need to be invited. The most important people in your life, they need to be invited to believe in Jesus. Don't assume they're not interested. Don't assume that a magazine cover or good grades or a position of affluence and influence reflects a satisfied heart, a right relationship with God. It probably doesn't. Ran across a really, really sad story. Um... There's an article in the New York Post, ran a story about a 49-year-old designer. Her name is Loren Scott. Some of you who are fashionistas, you probably know about her. Um, The article says that to look at her carefully curated Instagram feed, Loren Scott was a one-percenter, a gold-plated member of the International EAT, Elite, rather. It says, there she was on vacation in India with boyfriend Mick Jagger at his retreat on the island of Mustique, about to board a chartered helicopter, lounging poolside in gold jewelry and designer sunglasses, stretched on a private plane, using her $5,000 Louis Vuitton handbag as a footrest. And then it says, on Monday, March 19th, 2014, she committed suicide in a $5.6 million Chelsea apartment. Within hours, her life was revealed to have been an elaborate facade. Her business was at least $6 million in debt, her fashion world friends and celebrity clientele unaware of her despair. Philip Block, who's a stylist for celebrities, said, ironically, last week I said to three different people, I wish I had her life. Look at her life, she's always somewhere fabulous and fancy. You think, here's someone who has it all. And then he said, you just never know. The article concluded saying, while the chasm between Scott's marketed life and her actual life came as a shock, she was just one of countless New Yorkers who secretly fake their fabulous lives. Don't say no for anybody. Don't say no to the good news of Jesus for anybody, even an A-lister. Well, the king arose, the governor in Bernice, Queen Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they have a conversation. They say, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So once again, and by some counts, this is the fifth time Paul has been pronounced innocent and yet remains in captivity, a lot like Jesus. But that's not the sad part. The sad part, it's not what the A-listers talk about that's the great sorrow. It's what they don't talk about. They don't talk about what Paul just shared with them and whether it's true or not and what bearing it has on their life. That this Jesus had truly come to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus as the Christ of God. Okay. They weren't even talking about it. And this message let's be honest, it can be really hard for a-listers to welcome. You remember what Jesus said about it? I'm, I'm sure you'll remember this phrase when I read it to you, Jesus said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. This is is good news for A-listers. You cannot, it's impossible for you to earn right standing before God. But God can grant you that standing by virtue of the work that he's done through his son on the cross to bear your sins. And the scriptures are full of people who would fall into that category. A-listers who came to faith, walked in God's ways. King David. um, Nicodemus a Jewish ruler who came to Jesus by night, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich member of the Sanhedrin who offered his grave, took care of the body of Jesus and gave him his own grave, the Apostle Paul himself, who was the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? And of course, there are innumerable A-listers in our day who've professed To have repented and bent the knee before Christ as Savior and Lord. I can't evaluate their profession. I don't know them. I'll just pass it on to you at face value. People like Bubba Watson, the golfer. Reggie White, the football player. Alice Cooper, the curious musician, (laughs) professes faith in Christ. Alice Cooper. Russell Wilson, the football player. Linda Lovelace, of all people. Johnny Cash. Jeff Gordon. Bono. This is good news for A-listers. God can take those camels and jam them through that needle. He does it all the time. And only God can do it. So this morning, are you an A-lister who has dressed down and snuck in among us covertly? Maybe you're an A-lister by Chick-fil-A standards. Maybe that's the kind of A-lister that you are. Um, Maybe you're an A-lister because you think that you're going to be good enough, because you're a little better in your own eyes than the person that you work with or the person who's sitting next to you this morning, and you think that God's going to grade on a curve, and you're going to get in. Friends, Paul makes it clear. A-listers Kings, queens, generals, valedictorians, all-stars, they all need the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's for kings and it's for minions. Christ bore the cross for your sins too. He's the way, truth, and life for you, even for you. There is no other way. You cannot find your own way to God. You cannot earn His favor, no matter how exceptional you are. In this matter, you're just like me. You're a great sinner in desperate need of a Savior. So will you bow before Him this day? Will you, as a person of great status perhaps in our day, bow low before Him? And maybe, maybe, like me, you just know A-listers, right? You may know a couple. These are, these are the people you work with who are extraordinary, or you may have an acquaintance with a celebrity, or a government leader, or a military leader, or someone of, of prominence in our day. Someone who seems to have it all together, consummately together, enviably successful. You need to know that that person, whoever you're thinking about right now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is their greatest need. Know that if they die without Christ, they have no hope. Know that as they rattle through this life living large, they have no hope apart from Christ, even while they live. And it may be that God, just as he took this humble prisoner, the Apostle Paul, and put him before kings, in his sovereignty, he has placed you in those people's lives. And this morning, he may be prompting you to tell your story, to speak of Christ to them. You should do it. You should do it. With love and compassion and all the earnestness you can muster, you should speak to them. You should not, you should not shirk it. You should not shy away from it. Because A-listers need the gospel too. And so I'd like to close and pray that you, like the Apostle Paul, would be able to say, I was not disobedient to what God appointed me to do. Okay. Let me pray for you and we'll close. Lord, you have placed us where we are. You are Lord of our, of our place. You're Lord of our time. And our friendships and relationships, they come to us from your hand. And it may be for some of us that there are people who we've looked upon and we've thought, I don't, know if, I don't know if they really need Christ. Such a lie. God banished the thought from our minds. Help us to see with the compassion of Paul who stood before kings and queens and told them of their great need for Christ and of the good news that is in him. So give us boldness. Give us obedience to the prompting of the Spirit in these very matters. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.